0: Welcome to my podcast, In The Know. My series of interviews with amazing people doing amazing things as I travel around the world of no-tell. Hello and welcome to In The Know. Today I've got Jared Hecht, who's the founder of Fundera. But I got to know him when he was the founder and CEO of GroupMe. GroupMe was the first group texting app, a sensational New York company that was acquired in record time. And he's gone on to build a very interesting and powerful business for small business lending. In today's discussion, we hear where he came from and how he got to where he's at. Jared, welcome. It's amazing to have you on In The Know. Thanks so much for having me. We've been pals for a long time, but we, uh, I don't know, somehow I overlooked getting you on this series, I suppose you've just been a little busy and elusive, though I do grab you from time to time when we're at some global tech conference. Don't yes, there. don't take it personally. <laughs> and, and I don't take it personally. When was the last time we were together? It was in uh, California, I think. It was probably at one of the Columbia
1: Entrepreneurship Dinners.
0: Oh, it might have been that. Yeah, which yeah. has been a quite rewarding series, although I find myself not attending as often as I'd like to myself because no tell's it's can, like really getting really broad scope. It's been cool to see what they're doing. I think you have deeper roots than I do in some ways to Columbia because you've been quite active with the entrepreneurship scene the whole time that there has been an entrepreneurship scene at Columbia. I mean, it
1: depends what you mean by the whole time. You know, I feel like um, entrepreneurship there kind of like really, well, at least tech entrepreneurship there really hit its stride probably like in 2009, 2010. So maybe, yes. I think it just all depends how you look at it.
0: Yeah. You were an undergrad in which years? It was like a few years before that? I graduated in '09. All right, so there we go. Like you are the yeah. graduating class of the uh, kickoff.
1: Right when tech in New York City started becoming a thing.
0: Yeah, talk to me about it. So when you got to Columbia, was that like the plan? No, <laughs> not at all. You know, I wasn't quite sure what the plan was at
1: that point in time. But if there was a plan, it was something along the lines of work in the music industry or be like a music promoter along the likes of, there's this guy named Bill Graham, who was, like, the promoter for, for The Grateful Dead and made, like, the whole jam band scene happen back in the day. And that's kind of where my head was at,
0: like, 2005, 2006, and what I thought I wanted to do.
1: And that, that's amazing. That so that's great. kind of like,
0: if you were a high school junior today, then your plan was, I'm going to be a YouTube star, essentially? Yeah, 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 exactly. Mine was, like, oh, I love fish. How can I, like,
1: turn my love of fish and The Grateful Dead into a, a living? That's uh, unbelievable. So yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah well but at a fancy school i would have expected you to show up way more you know planned out and spreadsheeted than that you must have been unusual in your cohort yeah i would say i was like you know probably like in the bottom quartile of preparedness
1: for life everybody else seemed to have their shit together significantly more than i did they're like oh we're gonna be econ majors and go to the investment banking consult." and i was like what is investment banking and what is consulting um hmm. so <laughs> it's a little unusual yeah
0: So why'd you choose this place? Columbia? Yeah.
1: Well, I was in the greatest city in the world. I also was a big believer in the core curriculum. I really liked the idea that they try and steep you in all the classics and teach you how to think rigorously and do that by essentially taking you through the beginning to present of Western civilization. So it was a mixture of like I actually a true believer in curriculum and everything that Columbia had to offer from an academic perspective, and I wanted to be in New York City. And so it's the marriage of those two things that made it the top of my
0: list. It's a sort of broad-minded approach to what you wanted to get out of it and then drop yourself in a place where serendipity might draw you somewhere.
1: Yeah, it didn't
0: hurt that there's a live music show in New York City every single
1: night, too. So it's a combination of a bunch of different stuff.
0: Is that what you ended up doing? You showed up and you partied? I wouldn't call it partying,
1: you know, maybe it's more expand your horizons. so. so hey, <laughs> that's expand the, that's your mind. Great, politically correct spin on all of it. What I think really ended up happening was like, I wanted to see if I could like give the music thing a real crack. And while I was in school, I started like a music marketing and production company. I worked at a music publication all during the school year and in the summers in between. And part of that ended up just like meant going to a lot of concerts in New York City too. So I just tried to kind of, like, entrench myself in, like, the music scene that I loved and figure out if there was a way to actually turn that into some form of profession. And for a long period of time, like, the answer was, like, yes. And then over time, the more and more I kind of, like, worked in music, the less and less I enjoyed actually going to shows to see the music. It became more of a a thing that I had to do. For like business purposes as opposed to a thing I loved to do for just a sheer passion of going to see live music. And that's when I was like, I don't want to do anything in music anymore because it it's kind of ruining my love for the whole
0: experience of going to see live music. It became a job. Yeah. You went from pirate to navy in a short time. Pirate to navy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It all comes full circle.
0: But at that exact same moment, you are this is your first entrepreneurial experience, I guess. Yeah. In that business.
1: Yeah, there had been like stints of random stuff, you know, throughout high school, but this was like the first kind of semi real one, you know, really started as a way to go to concerts for free, um, sing the bands that I loved. And then all of a sudden, you know, you end up being like the promoter for their shows and hosting events and then booking them and become friends with them. And it kind of ruins the whole fucking thing. <laughs> and that was that. And then I kind of like took my foot off the gas there and said, what do I really want to do? And this is all during college. And then started thinking, like, what do I really want to do post-college? You know, it took me a while to figure out what the answer was to that. Yeah. For a minute, I thought I wanted to go do Teach for America. And then ultimately, I knew that, like, I really liked the experience of starting my own business in college. I started with a couple different partners who have all gone on to do awesome things. So I knew I wanted to do something, like, in business again. I just didn't know what that meant. And frankly, like, tech kind of happened serendipitously. I don't know if you remember at Columbia, there either still is or there used to be this guidebook called Inside New York that's distributed to um, all the other grads. So I was the publisher of that thing for a a year.
0: um, And that was a really cool experience. That's Um, interesting. So you did that after your music thing? You're like, okay, I'll take over the student run enterprise, which has been around for 50 years. Because that's the book they give out, like all the coupons in it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was at the very tail end
1: of the music run. And then I gave that book to a couple different friends and from my high school. One of my friends was at some family reunion, and he was like, check out this book that my friend made. And he gave it to his uncle, and his uncle happened to be the president of Tumblr. And he was like, who put this together? Your friend made this? Let me meet him. And I met him while I was a senior in college. And he was like, hey, I'm just looking for kind of a generalist to help me you know, do Tumblr. Like, I'm you know, really the only business person here, and I just need help. And that was kind of the entry point, extraordinarily lucky entry point uh, into my career of tech.
0: That's amazing. So that was like 2008, eight, nine, That was around yeah. then? Yeah. And uh, I guess modern day people will have vague recollections of Tumblr, which was the next Facebook at a certain point, wasn't it? Tumblr, like,
1: you know, it's like Facebook, and then... Twitter became a thing, and then Tumblr was becoming a thing.
0: And it was a really exciting time to be there, um, especially for somebody who knew nothing about anything. How big was it? You were the first business guy? Is that means there were 20 other people that were engineers, or were there 100? Well, John Maloney, my boss,
1: was the first business person. You were the um,
0: second. He had worked with David Carp at John's previous company. Um, David was the founder
1: and CEO of Tumblr. He was a total genius. When I joined, I think there were seven people there or so.
0: Unbelievable. That is uh, the serendipity you were looking for.
1: Yeah, it happens occasionally.
0: Uh, So talk to me about that, actually. That's like super early.
1: It was a phenomenal learning experience. Like I, again, I didn't know much about anything, especially when it came to to tech and startups. And John kind of took me under his wing and gave me tons of opportunity to run with business development, run with international expansion, to run with all their analytics and financial reporting a month or two into it i was compiling putting together board decks john brought me to board meetings so i got to see how the board actually operated it was a bunch of really smart people i room. it was like brad burnham from usb and john from spark so i got to like really see how this group of people who were kind of like pioneers in the world of social networking like USB at that point in time had their thesis all around network effects. So I got to see how these people thought, how they operated, what were the core metrics that they were looking at for all these different types of companies that they were investing in. Meanwhile, I was just trying to be a sponge and like absorb as much as I possibly could. Like back then, you know, it was like you had to read Fred Wilson's blog every day, and you had to read everything Chris Dixon wrote between the two of them who were like prolific writers. Like everything substantive that's ever been written about tech startups can be found on the blogs of those two people between the years of 2008 and 2011. Like I'm a guy 2010 like I am a firm believer that they covered pretty much the comprehensive history of like here's what you need to know how to do or just know about tech startups if you are going to do a tech
0: startup. Who else would you include in that crew? Because it was a moment actually of like a great fluorescence of writers. Maybe the others are not New York ones, right? There was the the Mark Andreessen blog for a while. And That's the Venture Hat stuff. Yeah, I think
1: like all like the early P Marcus stuff was a cup might have been like a year or two before or even before that, like, multiple years before of the ABC stuff and the Chris Dixon stuff. I mean those two were like those are top of the class. Joel Spolsky wrote about some really cool stuff too back then. And Brad Felt had a bunch of stuff too. Uh, yeah
0: right uh, like these are the this is the canon or the pantheon you could print all that out and you could do a core curriculum at columbia about it a hundred percent and somebody probably should do that at some point in time i mean i almost do right so i have this class at columbia for the last five years and a number of those canonical readings are are part of it i mean we do some other content as well but yeah yeah, i couldn't agree more so it's a formative period and you're there you're there in the room like in the board meeting with the writers of some of this stuff like that must have been amazing it was remarkable. And then, of course,
1: like, you know, I was pretty naive and cocky at the time. And I was like, I want to go do this myself. So like, I got spun around with a couple of ideas, um, wanted to build this thing that I think just this idea that everybody comes up with at some point in time in their life, which is like, hey, wouldn't it be neat if you could get recommendations from friends on cool places to eat and cool things to buy? And that then, like, then was Foursquare. That way, like I started building a prototype for that. I was sort of trying to teach myself how to code during that period of time too, and met a couple of people that I was working with that project on. A designer that I actually found through Tumblr, who became a designer at Tumblr, at GroupMe and Fundera. But all those kind of like early ideas, like never really kind of felt the confidence in them to go pursue them full time. And then then the idea for GroupMe Service kind of just came organically. One morning when my wife was complaining about an email change she was on trying to coordinate a bunch of friends going to a music festival and said, so why can't we just do this over text message? Why can't you reply all over text SMS? And um, I quickly called up uh, one of my best friends, this guy Steve Martosi, who I actually met through music, same way I met my wife through this band that we all love called the Disco Biscuits. Steve is probably the smartest person I know. He was a software engineer from Carnegie Mellon. He had done his own startup that didn't really work out and then ended up working at Guilt Group. Guilt Group, at that point in time, too, also just produced exceptional talent.
0: So yes. Guilt
1: Group, copy of people. But he was at Guilt Group, and we would get together and kind of jam on ideas on a weekly basis. And I called him up and was like, hey, why can't we reply all on SMS? We talked for an hour about, like, hey, if you could do reply all over SMS, what could that ultimately morph into? Like where could that go? What would it look like if you to actually built the native application? Could you layer on location services? How could you provide like real time context to the group so they can make better decisions or go places better or get together better? Anyways, so even um, merge
0: in some of your like music and recommendation notions from right. some of the other fragments. Yeah, anyway.
1: like if you're a group of five people. You're communicating. You're in New York City. You like to go see live music. Here's a list of things you can go do. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just and, like, we were just riffing on these ideas, and Steve had won this uh, internal hackathon at guilt group. So he was, like, riding high from, like, hey, I can go build stuff in a 24-hour period. And, like, literally a week and a half later was this
0: TechCrunch Disrupt Hackathon. It was the first one they had in New York City. So he was, like, you let's go to the You were the first hackathon. TechCrunch Disrupt Hackathon, too? Jesus, you're, like, yeah. Zelig, the Woody Allen movie, yeah. you like, show up yeah. in world historical
1: event. Just the guy in the background waving my hand.
0: So we went, and we built a working prototype, and that was me. And that was screwed me. Okay, but what was it? It was, you text a number and then it gets distributed? It wasn't an start, You text start, no, it was all SMS. It was all built on Twilio too.
1: Like with, As we were checking into the hackathon, Twilio had this little desk there. And I knew Twilio because they had reached out to Tumblr and I forget why, but we were going to do some stuff with them maybe but didn't end up handing out. And Twilio was like a very, like it was an early, early stage company. They probably had like 15 people there at that point in time. And they were like, hey, we're Twilio. Here's all the things you can do. And like, yeah, we know. We were gonna use the seller service and they're like, no, use us. So, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So like the initial prototype was like, you would text start to, I think we got the short code group. Like we got it provisioned through Twilio. And then you would get a text message from a regular 10 digit phone number with instructions on how to add people to your group. And when you texted that phone number that was specific and unique to your group, that text message would go to everybody else in the group. And when they texted back to that phone number, it would get relayed to everybody in the group as well. So you could literally just save a phone number into your contact list as like family or you know basketball friends or friends who love the band Fish. And it was essentially reply all over SMS built on top of Twilio. With like and a command
0: line interface where you send in exactly right. fragments of words and text and then the bot responds yeah. with a, hey, you got it.
1: Hashtag add space Jared space my phone number. You know, this whole list of commands um, that were all done over the SMS interface. So it worked on every phone, which is really cool. It's like, you know, at that point, I think I'm going to have a BlackBerry. I haven't even had an iPhone. That was like the initial working prototype for GroupMe. It just took off from there. Like, like straight out of the hackathon. A- Yeah, dude, it just happened. You know, it was just like the average group size was six people. I would create a group, you know, four people in that group would be like, what the fuck is this? One person would be like, that's awesome. They would go then create their group of six people. The exact same same thing would happen and that would just self-perpetuate. And it started to work. And literally three weeks later, we had both quit our jobs and were working on it full time. With the support of, you know, my boss, John Maloney from Tumblr, who was an investor in GroupMe, and Kevin Ryan from Gilt, who was just an awesome guy. And we cobbled together some financing. I think we raised like $850,000 at like a two and a half pre, which back in the day was like rich. Like that was a rich valuation. Today, people raise like $8 million at a $25 million free for the pre-seed rounds and you're kind of just like, what the hell happened to the world? Anyways, this is for another discussion.
2: Most workspaces today are vying for millennial attention by creating unlimited beer and ping pong tables. Those are all great things to do. Maybe at work, maybe not at work, but it's completely missing the point, which is that our minds are increasingly taken up by bullshit and by media that wants us rather than wants to give to us. And at work, in order to expand our creativity, to focus our minds, there are a number of hacks that we can introduce in addition to beer and ping pong, like meditation, like reading Simon Sinek, Seth Godin. But that all aside, it's really about the space that we occupy. So if we're in a cluttered space, our mind is often cluttered that aside having a space that is diverse as the people are that is comfortable that is easily movable that can be constructed and reconstructed and deconstructed in the same amounts of time where you're surrounded by other people that are enjoying that type of space is a pretty cool thing if the workspace can be a definite workspace but a good workspace then you're in business
0: so this podcast is brought to you by Notel. thanks for listening Zoom in for a sec, you had already left Tumblr when you started kicking around ideas, or you had decided you would? No, and you I was did still have a day job.
1: No, I so had not decided. What was your that. day
0: job? At Tumblr? No, when you left. When I left Tumblr? Yeah, or maybe I misunderstood. Sorry. When we did when
1: we built the prototype for um group me at the TechCrunch Distro Packathon, I was still at Tumblr. And like I showed it to my boss like the next day to John. And he was like, oh, that's neat. You should go talk to some of these investors. And like, he introduced me to Andy Weissman at Betaworks. And, no, Charlie O'Donnell, from, who was then at First Round Capital, was at TechCrunch Disrupted. He was he, he saw what we were building. He was like, hey, let's talk about this. He was like, a very early advocate for what we were doing.
0: Uh, and tell me about the daily growth stuff. Like You must have been astonished if you quit your job such a, and, and raised money at such a rich valuation.
1: I mean, it wasn't like... Absolutely insane growth right out the gate. Right. But like it was growing. It was working. We quickly went from zero to thousands of people sending tens of thousands of text messages, which is really cool, but also kind of scary because we were building this whole thing on top of Twilio and we were paying for every single text message we sent. So every text message we sent was actually six text messages because you would send one text to the group phone number and then that would get sent five different times to everybody else in the group. So it became a pretty expensive service to run right out the gate. Wow. So that was a little bit scary. So we were like, hey, we need to go raise money to stomach some of these costs and over time figure out how we're actually going to mitigate some of these costs by just either striking a better deal with the or moving off them entirely. By the way, I think we were like the first real like application that got traction or scale
0: on top of Trolio, which has gone on to be a huge public company all over the world, and I guess it has its own stories sort of similar to that, right? They were sort of messing around with their platform and finding hits like you first and then others. but then they sort of tagged along to Uber and some of the the other huge breakouts as a core yes. service provider. Absolutely. Yeah. By the way, Uber, happy customer of Notel in a bunch of cities around the world. Uh, believe it or Isn't not, <laughs> and William, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's funny, and actually, many of the other names you mentioned have <laughs> their own companies and and uh, are with Notels in New York or elsewhere. But and you know, the GroupMe story is so amazing. This really first part of it, I I didn't know, but the story gets famous shortly afterwards, right? It's like the launch of app stores, native apps, and then you get bought. It must have been. Yeah, yeah. A big surprise. So that was like Skype called you one day or was it yes. the other way around? called us
1: one day. Yeah, they called us one day, maybe around like five or six months into it. And then they went radio silent for a couple months and then they called us back and were like, Hey, let's explore partnering together. And that conversation lasted around two weeks and they were like, Let's just buy you and we're like Amazing. a conversation. Yeah.
0: Amazing such a cool story and in a way it's like behind the scenes the way we just went through it you see how you manufactured what felt like a miracle at that moment right like all the serendipity all the different people all these connections it isn't actually just raw luck you were out there finding
1: yeah i think like i'm a firm believer that you know you can optimize for getting lucky and i think we did a good job at that
0: so i want to ask a little bit about fundera too because i guess you know you have this huge accomplishment and then you're like all right i'm gonna build more companies. Yeah, that's more or less how you left the uh, Skype Microsoft GroupMe headquarters at some point a few years ago, and did um, you get right yeah. to Fundera or, or right to Fundera. You...
1: So I had mm-hmm. two years at Skype and Microsoft, and spent that time like I, I knew I wanted to do another thing. Like in, in my mind, I'm like reflecting on what happened at GroupMe, it was a wonderful product and a really cool brand, but it wasn't like a real company or real business. You sold it, we 19 people or so generating zero dollars in revenue with really not much of a clear path to how we were going to make money one day. I wanted to just personally continue to learn. And ironically, like for me, continuing to learn meant building something that was a real business, like had a viable business model generated revenue right out the gate, and had an opportunity to turn into a meaningful company. My criteria for what a meaningful company is is something that has a transformative impact on an industry and a transformative impact on the lives and career trajectories of all of its employees. And that was kind of the lens I was using when I was evaluating the opportunities. And I had two years at Microsoft to think about what it was I wanted to do next. And for a minute, I was thinking about doing something in the healthcare space both my parents were doctors, um, but didn't really fall in love with any ideas there. And then, you know, on the theme of serendipity, like Fundera started from a problem that my wife's cousin had, which is he was a small business owner who owns a chain of restaurants in Ohio. And he struggled to access capital from banks when he wanted to open up a third location. And I went on the internet with him because at this point in time, I heard like this concept of online lending was creeping up pretty quickly. There were companies like Lending Club that was emerging on the West Coast and Prosper, Cabbage and OnDeck in the US, and Funding Circle in the UK. So I was familiar, like, hey, there are alternatives to banks now. But we went online and typed in small business loans into Google and literally got back a bunch of like, Search marketing ads from payday lenders and predatory loan brokers and these terrible lead generation services that would just kind of, you know, run search marketing arbitrages where they would capture your information and sell it to 20 people and your phone would get blown up for the next three weeks. But we never wanted to speak in the first place. And all the organic search results were all these banks that had rejected my cousin's business. And there was no, like, objective source of truth. There was no, like, Wikipedia for small business lending, for him to get smart about, hey, here are all the different financial products available to you, and here's what they all do, and here's when you should get them or when you shouldn't think about getting them. And there was no web application to actually shop and compare offers or understand all the different things that you could get and do that in one place, like Kayak has done in the travel industry or Amazon has done for virtually everything else. It was literally as if the internet had not happened to this world of small business lending. And I spent time when I was at Microsoft, angel investing and advising other entrepreneurs and kind of just really fell in love with helping support entrepreneurship. So here was like this total trifecta of all of my criteria coming together in one place. Like thing was, could be a real business if we were able to build a real marketplace an educational resource to help small business owners get the right types of lending products, could become a real company, like we could make the internet happen to the industry of small business financial solutions, and really took out my heartstrings in the sense that we'd be doing this to support entrepreneurs and small business owners and help them build thriving enterprises. So all of these things kind of just clicked at the exact same time and spent some time doing some research and said, let's go solve this problem in this space. When was that? That was middle of 2013 when I kind of knew that this is what I wanted to do and then built a prototype for it at the very end of 2013 and launched at the beginning of 2014. How long did and you spend searching for, for this ago.
0: trifecta idea? How long did you spend thinking about what you wanted to do before this thing rang your bell?
1: It was probably about 18 months.
0: And this was the first match? Or did you get serious on a few as you were uh, dating?
1: I did a lot of research in healthcare, specifically trying to think about like were there opportunities around building like electronic health records. that just generally believe like people should like access to your own personal medical records should be democratized, and people should have that data at their fingertips, and they should own it and not have to jump through hoops in order to get it. One day, maybe we'll get around to that many years down the line. But I, it was not. Things weren't clicking. Like it was more enterprise-y, It wasn't for me. I was. I do like things that are consumer-oriented in nature. Um, that can operate at scale, where you're solving problems for you know human beings,
0: ordinary human beings. Yeah. So this is a little bit more of a top-down process, right? Because like your story on GroupMe is like spark of insight, instant action. And this time, you were kind of boiling the ocean, taking some vectors of research collecting them all together or sort of pairing them up and then you fell in love with one of them and went hard for it yeah which i guess you had the luxury to do once you had already been successful one time you figured all right let me make the right choice whereas the first time the thing that kicked you in the ass and got you out the door of tumblr was just the power of that that spark
1: yeah but like also i had this two-year time period like i was locked up at microsoft for.
0: Two years. Uh, uh, right, like, mandatory D-D-D. research period. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what other the it's differences on the flow on this one? What else have you done differently? How else has it evolved differently? Because you're seven years into it now, and so you must have accomplished a lot. And it sounds like one of the big goals was to build a quote-unquote real business. What's it been like now that you have to do much more than just a nifty product?
1: Oh, I think it's hard as hell. Like, if I think about things like a consumer that end up working... You know, they're generally somewhere between 80 to 90% luck and 10 to 20% executing against that luck. I would say, uh, you know, Fundera is probably the inverse of that equation, which makes it much more difficult. Um, It's more operationally intensive. You really kind of just got to fight through a lot of hard time. You know, this is what you're doing. You gotta fight through a lot of hard times, like... of all the things you try, maybe one in 20 things work, but that thing works really well and unlocks another vector of growth for you. It's been, you know, reflecting on this whole experience. Frankly, it's been what I've wanted it to be, which was just an extension or accelerant in my learning curve as an entrepreneur. And in that respect, it's been super fulfilling. It's been remarkably fulfilling. Like we're companies around 140 people, which is significantly larger than Group me ever was. So, I just acquiring the whole new set of skills that's really fun for me to continue to develop.
0: How far are you in the journey, would you say, to where you're going? I've kind of had
1: this milestone of like, we want to help at least a million small business owners get financing. And today we're roughly 40,000 to 50,000 or so. Um, so, we've got a long ways to go. We've done north of roughly $2 billion in financing through our marketplace. And almost all of that has been done in the past two, two and a half years. The other thing about this journey is like, well, where GroupMe worked right out the gate, Fundera did not work until like year three, maybe year four. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of false positives early on and a lot of start stops and a lot of retooling of the company and the platform itself. So like that was difficult stuff to work through. But once things started clicking, it's
0: been a pretty remarkable journey. Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. I mean, you were alluding a little bit to the context that Notel operates in. You know, we make offices for companies all around the world. And last year was a very interesting year of news on that topic with uh, the co-working yeah. folks and what was happening to them. And, you know, we were sort of... who their names. We thought we were sneaking into the palace. And as we were halfway up the wall, it started crumbling, you know. <laughs> it was an interesting yeah. experience for us to navigate. But I, I guess the same has happened to... The credit markets and the small business lending and, you know, some of those firms you mentioned had very spectacular blowups. Is that the case of the last four or five years? Yeah, I would say for like all of the
1: online lenders that emerged early on, you know, like Lending Club, for instance, who became a public company at something like a 10 or 12, maybe 15 billion dollar, I forget what it was. But like it was like a ten billion dollar market cap company. that's that's a billion dollar market cap company. I think what's generally happened is like there was this notion that there were potentially network effects in online lending, specifically some of these quote unquote marketplace lenders. But at the end of the day, like the, the markets have essentially evaluated them as their kind of specialty finance lenders and balance sheet lenders, and it's made the uh, it's just really created significant like multiple compression there um, in their valuation to the point where like I would say. Uh, at one point in time in fintech lending was the be all end all, and then it's kind of become like a little bit of a bastard stepchild of fintech. I'm grateful of, like that what we do, like we're not a balance sheet lender, like, we truly are a marketplace that helps small business owners find the right solutions and then works with them over time to get more and better solutions. So it is fundamentally different, but it's somewhat similar to the experience that you know, you've gone through. Yeah, like you're kind of entering a space, the space is like the hot space. And then, you know, all that is at one point in time hot eventually cools off. But for us, like, it doesn't really matter. We've built a viable business. Last year was our first profitable year. Like, we're here and we're helping business owners and we love what we do.
0: Do you think that the other strategies, the hot strategies that people were running were unsound on a fundamental basis? Or maybe you had overpromised this network effects thing and the emperor has no clothes happened to them? in a way that benefited you? I don't think
1: bad things happening to companies or people really benefit anyone unless they were like malicious, terrible actors. Yes and no, in some regards. Like no in the sense that like a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes, in the sense that when traditional lending companies become viewed as traditional lending companies, what we do is definitely viewed fundamentally differently. You know, like what we do with those investors might liken it to like in a gold rush, like, do you want to be picking the gold or do you want to be selling pickaxes to people? I'm like, we're selling the pickaxes. Um, I don't know how apt that analogy is to what we actually do, but enough investors can mm-hmm. use it where I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'll start saying that occasionally. Yeah, uh, I think that's why I think so like, the that's answer, why, the answer is yes
0: and no. Yeah, it is complex. It yeah, is yeah. I mean, my certain, enough. my experience in uh, our market context is we started a flex office business because we thought co-working was not ideal. It wasn't serving big companies so we get to it and then we were just like constantly compared to co-working we we're doing great so we we're sort of fine with that and then suddenly we're like the global number two and then as those guys hit their difficulties it became very important to make sure the contrasts were clear but certainly we weren't wishing for anybody's troubles because they come with a blast radius that, that isn't so helpful
1: Totally, and I think for like yeah. people who are not as sophisticated or steeped or understand the industry, like it's hard to understand the nuances between the two. And while they might be, there might be like they might just be nuances. The nuances are actually really profound and have like very real implications.
0: Yeah, and yeah, maybe the first moment that you would have seen it tangibly was when you walked into Tumblr and their buttons were a little nicer, or maybe the way your GroupMe handle made it hard for other annoying clones to ever get the traction you capture so because sometimes the details do make all the difference. That's very true. It's been yeah. so interesting listening to your story I that there's a, a lot that fledgling entrepreneurs can can take from it. Thank you so much for uh, being on In the Know with me.
1: Of course. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, listeners, thanks for subscribing. Or thanks for just tuning in. A special request from me on this podcast that you are growing to love. Write a review, please. A five-star review spreads the word and people will follow. Cheers, thank you, and stay tuned for the next 30 episodes. I'm so excited we've just passed a big milestone. It didn't take long, and all of a sudden we're up at 40 episodes of people telling us how to spread great ideas.